Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Uh, my guest today is from a company called Treeline, or Treeline Interactive. It's Jake Fields, uh, founder and CEO. Jake, how are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, Jake, so you know, let's start off with uh, the basics. What, what does Treeline do? Treeline is a software development shop um, that has been focused on uh, emerging technologies, I guess, for the past 12 or 13 years now. So um, we've been in a number of different fields as we've kind of evolved, but uh, it's kind of a hybrid of uh, professional services and also uh, product incubation. So uh, we work with a number of different clients to help solve specific problems they have. And we come into their organization, help augment their resources, build out different product technologies, um, or there's additional products that over time we've started to develop and then uh, spin out into their own organizations to help kind of solve recurring problems that we're seeing within the field and different uh, emerging opportunities. So what's some of your, what's some examples of your top software projects? What were they about? Um, so we do a lot of stuff across um, entertainment, medical, um, uh, even into a lot of kind of the startup realm. But uh, in the past, you know, we had done kind of started out in the action sports world. So we've done a lot of work that helped deal with um, work with I guess, the X Games and also a lot of different ski resorts. So that's kind of where we started. Um, that evolved a bit into events. Um, and then more recently, we've been solving kind of more connected device IoT type problems. So um, one example in the medical field, we were working with a West Health who's here in San Diego, and uh, they were looking to implement a wireless fetal ultrasound monitor. So uh, we were able to help them work through the product prototype and build out phase and also build out the mobile technology to connect it and then build the web and cloud infrastructure to be able to manage that data. Um, so that's something that we were able to do kind of uh, on an external basis. Um, example from an internal product side of things is uh, a transportation logistics platform that we put together more recently um, that deals with, uh, I guess, connecting the supply chain and also, you know, interactivity of drivers and uh, how they work with their vehicles. Um, and then that's also played over a little bit into some of the work we've done in the IoT realm um, to be able to connect, you know, industrial manufacturing type devices to the Internet. So. As you can see, it's a, it's a variety of stuff, but I think connectivity sensors um, is really a common thread there. And then uh, a lot of the additional data that gets augmented on top of user input. Yeah, so what's, what's new with connectivity? It's going to be IoT devices all connected, and are they going to include uh, algorithms to analyze what each device is doing or to optimize the system? 
Yeah, I mean, I think everybody is pushing to be, you know, the central hub, uh, whether you look at, you know, the home and the consumer side of things, which I think is a tricky market, um, I think, for new products. But, you know, some people are getting some real traction there. Um, or even if you look at business and, um, you know, industrial automation, you know, people are trying to figure out how do you bring all these devices together to speak a common language. There's a lot of system integration that needs to ultimately happen on the back end. You know, not everything is going to be speaking the same wireless protocol to come together. So you need to really have uh, a strong back office configuration that is open to receiving the data sets that's going to get across the board. And I think that's something in the past that was challenging for organizations. Uh, even a lot of the organizations that got a little bit of a leg up and, you know, early, some of that being transportation, you know, banking, uh, even some things like casinos, you know, they were using technology early and actually ended up handcuffing them and tying their hands a little bit longer term because uh, their systems are so old, they weren't really architected to deal with all these different types of data that they would need to integrate with. So I, I think they're in the process of solving that, um, but it's really just a matter of, you know, iteration. And now everybody's kind of taking that uh, future forward approach of having external data sources, APIs, and, you know, a centralized data store um, to be able to run analytics on. I mean, I think the next real step is for everybody to be operating in real time. Um, that, comes with its own host of challenges, but you know, real time is that next opportunity, which allows you to then move into predictive, which is, you know, solves problems that are coming down the pipe in the future. So what industries do you think are in most need of better connectivity and real time data analysis? Um, you know, I think uh, where we've seen it, uh, just based on our experience, I'm sure there's plenty of other, has been this uh, kind of manufacturing world um, and the transportation realm. There's a lot of things that are happening. If you take a look just at the manufacturing side of things, um, you know, you have equipment that's operating in the field. Some of that equipment stays there for, you know, 20, 30 years because it's an industrial device that serves that, you know, specific function. But those need to be maintained and uh, kind of reviewed on a regular basis. And you can't have a kind of uh, advanced replacement type guy out there every single week to understand if, you know, the bearings are wobbling on, a, you know, some sort of rotator pump. But at the same time, you can go ahead and implement sensors that phone home so you can understand when issues may happen or are going to happen in the future. Um, some of this allows you to prevent downtime. And if you're doing, you know, around, uh, you know, a run on some pharmaceutical drugs or whatever they might be that you're using a pump for a clean room, uh, you may lose, you know, $20,000, dollars $50,000 easily um, just by, you know, the downtime on that equipment. And that's without just lost uh, work uh, availability in the future. That's purely that run that may fail. So all those things are areas where the threshold, you know, within the margins and the business operations are going to continue to reduce so that people will need to understand what their equipment is going to do in advance. And there won't be, uh, it won't be acceptable to have any types of failures and downtimes, at least, you know, as we get a little bit ways out here. How automated are the most critical industries right now? Are they pretty far along, or are they in the Stone Age? Or? You know, I, I can't speak to all the industries. If you take a look at something like you know, power plants and, you know, some pretty advanced turbines, uh, you know, they've gotten to the point where they understand they, they don't have those margins for error. But as you go down the supply chain um, and even just industrial chain a little bit further, I mean, virtually nothing is monitored. I mean, you've probably taken up about, you know, single-digit percentages. Um, which, you know, you don't necessarily need to hit 100%, but there's probably uh, at least, you know, 40 to 50% of your critical infrastructure that you need to make sure that you keep online um, and be able to do so without, you know, having humans go ahead and touch everything every single day. So I think that's where there's the big opportunity, and it's a pretty expansive space as you take a look at all the different realms of 
manufacturing and industry that start to get involved and even pan out into wastewater and other things that deal with, you know, the, the smart city, um, which is, you know, a whole other machine of its own. So what do you think is realistic in the next five or ten years in terms of IoT and what industries and where will people see it versus, you know, what's way off in the future? Um, I mean, I think we're at, it always feels like you're, you're right about there, but it does seem like we're at a pretty interesting tipping point where, um, you know, IoT has come in. It's been the, the golden child of explosion, and there's going to be billions and billions of connected devices, trillions. Um, but it didn't quite take stride as quickly as people would have thought. You know, you got the connected devices for consumers. We got some for industry that started to come together and kind of paint the vision, but a lot of it's been case studies. A lot of it's been companies that are testing things out. Um, I think there's enough data out there now. I think costs of, you know, microcomputing and even battery power um, and, you know, cellular connectivity have all been driven down. Um, so the next five years, I think, is going to be pretty exciting to see that really start to hockey stick up, um, especially as these companies can prove actual ROI and use these technologies as a competitive advantage. Um, versus, you know, a hobby or an interest or an R&D project. Um, and I think that'll allow some of these industries also to or force them to consolidate further as you end up with a couple of lead players that really run a streamlined operation. Um, the other folks that don't adapt won't be able to compete. So, you know, those kind of roll those companies up and you'll end up with a you know, slightly different landscape. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, we'll, we'll be doing IoT and then we'll have self-driving vehicles and flying cars and all that. Um, but, you know, I, I think those ones are going to be a slightly uh, longer timeline than, uh, you know, the direct impact that IoT can make right now within, you know, new spaces. Well, how connectivity is coming? What about security? I mean, that's going to be a huge factor, I would think. How is that going to be addressed? Yeah, I mean, the security side is, you know, quite frankly, really scary. Um, just based on, you know, recent incidents we've seen, um, I think that goes beyond IoT and any of this future tech. Um, I think we live in an overly vulnerable digital world, and uh, I think companies and uh, even countries are going to need to learn how to create some better standards to make sure people don't open up, you know, individuals or corporations to, you know, these direct vulnerabilities. But it's going to, re you know, remain a huge risk, I think, going forward, at least into the next, you know, five or ten years in terms of, you know, a free and open web. Um, I think things start to get locked down a little bit more in the future, and that starts to change shape. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, I think on the IoT and device side of things, you know, there's a lot of stuff that can be done and really handled through best practices. Um, I think there's some more advanced technologies that can be then applied to help make these technologies smarter and stronger and more secure. Um, but these devices are essentially, you know, web servers or web nodes and they're standards that have been developed over the past 20, 30 years that, you know, can be directly applied, um, you know, maybe with slight changes and, uh, you know, evolving those standards a little bit further, but people just need to not be sloppy. Um, you know, a lot of this is a rush to get devices out. Um, you know, you have a lot of devices coming quickly off the production line from China as they're mimicking other products in the States. And, you know, there's code that gets copied and pasted and standards and pieces that are plugged in that aren't the top priority. But I, I do see security as a role in any sizable organization continuing to grow, um, whether that's product development, whether that's infrastructure, integration companies. So, um, hopefully people kind of give it its uh, necessary resources. Well, how much do you have to worry about security? I mean, you're a software company. You know, you can develop applications that can connect things, um, you know, provide analytics, et cetera. But is, are you seeing that you have a responsibility to also include the security elements? Or if you follow best practices, you're safe? 
Um, there's definitely a responsibility there. And, uh, you know, it starts within the different layers and it starts with, you know, how much do you expose the devices? So the easiest way to, you know, secure a device is to make sure that it's not accessible, you know, from an outside party. Um, from there, you can go ahead and add in all different layers of security from, you know, uh, your VPN access and your tunnels and different ways to, you know, access security protocols, decryptions. You know, update management has been a really recent um, exploit that a lot of people have taken advantage of from a connected device standpoint. Um, it's one that just companies were rushing to be able to do over-the-air updates, and they didn't take into account the fact that that was, you know, a backdoor into their entire you know, ecosystem. So. Um, thankfully, you know, some people have kind of put out some, I guess, um, helpful code and uh, standards beyond just best practices to be able to deal with that. Um, a lot of the device managers, uh, device makers, even the chip makers, you know, they're taking on the onus of security to be able to offer up, you know, sample code and components that allow their um, the companies that are using their chips to go ahead and push these steps forward. But it exists within every step of the ecosystem. So your vulnerabilities can be on the web, they can be locally within machines. And, you know, ultimately it can be as secure as possible. If you're accessing these devices, humans become, you know, probably the weakest link. So at that point you're dealing with, you know, how do you make sure that it's not just standard password management where you can end up with social engineering exploits. So um, it'll never be perfect. Uh, but on our side of things, we just make sure each phase of the project and each component that may be talking to the outside world, um, you know, has the ability to be addressed from a security, security monitoring and implementation standpoint. So what projects do you have coming that you're most excited about, you know, what, what that you can reveal that are not proprietary? Yeah, it's a little bit tricky. Um, a lot of the stuff we do is kind of in an R&D and pre-commercialization realm, and then as we put things out in market. But uh, I would say, you know, there's some stuff that we're doing that's pretty awesome in the healthcare space um, that allows kind of some more of the archaic systems for managing, you know, patient prescription and benefit information to kind of take the next step forward. Um, the stuff that we're doing in the transportation realm is, you know, really exciting to me because uh, as you deal with vehicles, that's kind of your ultimate uh, connected device. Um, it has tons of data that's throwing off. It has, uh, it's huge in size and, you know, everybody grows up or all guys grow up playing with trucks. There's, uh, you know, these trucks are now uh, real-world items that are working with the infrastructure, that, you know, the United States to deliver commerce and goods. So it's also another area where there's a ton of room for optimization. You know, as you take a look at, you know, the trillions of dollars in supply chain, um, there's plenty of inefficiencies at each stop along um, the delivery cycle. So um, addressing it just from a vehicle standpoint for starters is interesting, but you start to touch other components, it's, you know, warehousing and distribution facilities, you take a look at ports, you know, all these are areas where, you know, they're just begging for opportunities for better technology and, uh, you know, more transparency to be able to, you know, get the goods through those destinations faster. All right. Any other projects that you can comment on? Yeah. I mean, I think there's some additional work that we're doing right now with uh, ESPN um, that, you know, we've worked with them and the X Games and a lot of athlete work in the past to be able to, you know, manage uh, those athletes and a lot of data and information. But, um, you know, they're starting to push things into the next realm of connected device. Um, they worked with Intel, their Curie chip, to be able to do uh, real-time athlete monitoring uh, last year um, to collect these specific data sets. So between those data sets, the recorded results, um, anything that's captured through computer vision, you end up with these pretty expansive sets of information about athletes across multiple different sports and competitions. Um, it's another example where you have, you know, too much data to be able to do anything with. So 
Um, we're putting together some back-end systems to be able to really take that data to the next step to take a look at, you know, what are predictive results, um, what's different notable information that could be reported about the past, and how is that most relevant to broadcast and, you know, uh, the spectators in the future. So um, taking a whole other realm of, you know, performance data out of machines and really applying it to humans and understanding how that can be then further applied, I guess, you know, for entertainment and, you know, in a space that really has a bigger opportunity to expand beyond where it's at now. Any, um, you know, since you not only see data, but you set up the networks that handle vast amounts of data. Any surprises you see from all this integration and connectivity work? You know, unanticipated uh, good or bad consequences for these companies? Um, I mean, I think whenever you're dealing with mobile connectivity, there's a, a score of nightmares that you deal with, and you, you work through those challenges, and you understand how to, you know, have redundancy. Um, you understand where you need real-time data or not. Um, you know, you, you definitely, again, run into a lot of these uh, legacy systems. And I think there's a, a great, you know, second renaissance of, you know, information technology happening right now where these legacy systems, you know, have been augmented to the level of, you know, dwarfing them within the overall infrastructure. And they're ready to rip out those pieces and put in new cores. So that's really exciting um, so that you can really have that infrastructure to keep things connected. And the other thing is, you know, understanding that connectivity, understanding the, I guess, both the fidelity and the reliability of that data. So it's one thing just to have a single piece of information delivered, but as you deal with time series data and streams of information, um, understanding how to deal with that capacity, and then also how to then mash up that data with other streams of information to get you know actual meaningful results versus just uh, exponentially more data that's being archived. Um, so that's both exciting and a big challenge that we've seen and tried to help you know some different organizations navigate. So stream processing has definitely been a, a nice. Um, computing direction to help deal with that, um, but there's a ton of other ones as we deal with kind of big data and you know larger application processing or multi-tenant processing. You think um, a lot of these companies maybe are just excited about getting big data, but then they'll just sit on it and do nothing with it? How do you get something connected? <laughs> How do you get people to use it and benefit from it? It seems like a lot of the uh, systems may be left in the wrapping and never used, you know? Yeah, it depends on the organization. I mean, you can start collecting data, which is nice, and you can eventually figure out what to do to it. If you're really driving home a new initiative, it's nice to approach it strategically like you would with anything else. And, you know, what is your hypothesis? What are you looking to prove? What do you think the value outcomes may be? And, you know, what's the minimum viable product to go ahead and prove that that may or may not be actually valuable? Um, so implementing that through kind of a prototype pre-commercialization phase is something that a lot of companies are doing um, because, yeah, really all the data in the world is great, but it doesn't do any good for the organization. It ultimately is going to get cut out and someone's going to figure out a better way to do things. So, um, you know, that's starting at the end, you know, right? What's your conclusion? What do you, where do you want to get to? And then working backwards and figuring out how to get there is really the only way to do it properly. Um, unless you just understand that you're collecting test data that at some point is going to be processed and utilized, and that's more of a you know shotgun type approach. All right. So last last question in this vein: What do you think is um, more fantasy than reality over the next five or ten years? What's like the dream of connectivity that you think we're just not going to be able to get there yet for quite a while? Uh, that's an interesting one. Okay. Um, fantasy than reality. I think there's going to be great improvements in the AI realm, but I think that's going to take a little bit longer uh, than we'd like to actually truly become intelligent. I think that the problem mm -hmm. with a lot of these technologies is, uh, 
you start to whet people's appetites and then their expectations grow and grow and grow. And uh, right now, you know, you have some pretty interesting AI systems that are going on, but people want, you know, a virtual assistant that's perfect, that answers all their hopes and desires and needs. And it's interesting services are augmenting that with humans to help bridge the gaps. Um, But I think ultimately, you know, to get to a few, uh, a true level of a, you know, smart virtual assistant, um, it's going to be a few years further out than I think people would expect if you start to hit a wall. Um, in terms of, you know, some of the data sets that are available and available on demand. I think uh, Alexa really surprised people and came out the gates and was very performant. But you could see the problems and the challenges that Apple already has with Siri and really getting that to the next level. And then you combine in different privacy concerns. And, you know, at, at what point is, you know, all the data open or is what point does that data need to be protected? So um, I think that's definitely one area. Um, you know, I, I don't know when the flying cars are coming. Uh, I like the prospect of Hyperloop. I wish that could be accelerated a little bit further, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of up to the future. Well, very good. Well, how can people find out more about TreeLine and start interacting with you? Yeah, so uh, you go ahead and visit treelineinteractive.com, and uh, we're based down here in San Diego, um, but, you know, we work people throughout the uh, country and throughout the world. And, uh, you know, if there's something in the IoT connected device world, uh, even, you know, web application realm, Uh, Happy to chat and figure out where we might be able to take it. The Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference is coming to Dallas, Texas, February 16, 17, and 18 in 2018. If you know of a better way to get the latest insider knowledge about crypto, to hear directly from the top minds in this field, to interact personally with 800 fellow crypto lovers, hodlers, investors, miners, traders, developers, and founders, then I'd like to hear about it. If you don't, then you don't want to miss out. Register today for the Bitcoin, Ethereum, and Blockchain Super Conference. Go to BitcoinSuperConference.com and register today as a super early bird to get the lowest rates on tickets and hotel rooms. That's BitcoinSuperConference.com. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.